All right, day 299. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so Second Peter. Uh, today we are in the book of Second Peter, and we are in uh, one of the most neglected books of the New Testament. Uh, it isn't preached out of a ton. You don't. Uh, you probably, if I'm guessing, don't do a ton of memory verses of out of here, um, or you probably don't read it a lot, right? But um, it is very important and profitable for us as Christians. So this is written by my man Peter, who again was chief apostle for the circumcised, right? Remember Galatians chapter two. Remember Matthew chapter sixteen. So Peter most likely, like his first letter, is writing to the same group of believers that he wrote to before, right? And he is about to go, similar to Paul, uh, the way of all the earth. We talked about last time how Paul, uh, many have said, uh, believed he was about to go, right, in 2 Timothy. And here, Peter kind of has the same tone. He has a very, very similar uh, frame of reference in mind here as he un unpacks this letter uh, to this church and uh, to these to these churches. And Christians and he offers them a departing challenge right that they ought to continue growing right like even as he leaves he just says one thing like I want you to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and he says that they ought to be warned about these false teachers specifically um, these false teachers lives and the doctrine it's so funny that so much of the New Testament tells us to beware of false teaching I love what he says though he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, your goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, like I said, Peter is about to go, fam. He's like, never stop growing. And I think this is a good word to those listening uh, who may have been believers for a while, right? Those who deep down may feel, man, it's not much I ain't really heard. I know all the Bible stories. I know what I'm supposed to do. It is just uh, monotonous, right? And Peter is like, man, there is so much deeper you can go and so much further for you to grow, right? And he provides for us what many have said is this uh, staircase structure, right? And it's common in the ancient world where they would have uh, um, these viceless or virtueless, in this case, it's a virtueless, uh, where one leads, where one virtue leads into another, almost like steps on a staircase, right? So he says, faith, then faith with goodness, then goodness with knowledge, then knowledge with self-control, then self-control with endurance, then endurance with godliness, then brotherly affection with love. Many have speculated about the order, but most folks would say, and seem to agree that based on this text and others, that faith is primarily the ground or the starting point, right, for this growth. Um, and then love is the climax, right? Climax or the goal. And I think, again, some may ask, well, how do I cultivate these virtues, right? And um, it's it's just common and pervasive throughout the ancient world that imitation, right? Like Paul will say that a ton. Uh, uh, Jesus, everybody will say a ton. Like, no, no, you are to imitate those who have them. Right. Uh, you are to give yourself over to the, the, the various spiritual disciplines that God has uh, laid out in his word, reading of the word and prayer and discipline and Sabbath and rest and silence and all these great things. And notice uh, and we shouldn't miss this, that the logical there's a logical relationship right between verses three and four and five to seven. The indicative of the gospel where God has allowed us to participate in his uh, uh, possible uh, or we, where we can participate in the divine nature through the promises of God, through the gospel. Right. This makes way and gives divine power and grace and gifts to us that saves us. Yes, but also gives us everything we need for a life 
of godliness, right? Everything we need to live a life of godliness. And all of this, again, is rooted in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which Peter wants us to grow in. The book is actually framed. It's 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 a uh, it's a uh, bookended or inclusioed or bracketed in chapter one verse two in verse in chapter three verse eighteen with uh, growing in the grace and knowledge, uh, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, knowing Jesus is the way we grow, and this is not um again this is not mere intellectual, uh, just cognitive understanding, right? But this is a deep, intimate, relational, and communal knowing that is necessary for this life and progression in this life in Christ. Right. And it's, it's important that he contrast this. Right. Because remember what I said, there were folks who were living a very licentious life. Right. These false teachers. And Peter says, that ain't that ain't the model, chief. <laughs> like, no, 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 that's not the model for you, my guy. Right. And they had poor teaching. Right. And he's saying, hey, I don't want you to live like them or necessarily believe what they believe. And so what he says is um, he, he says this throughout the letter is that they were denying the second coming <clears throat> of Christ. Right. And in light of that, listen, they said, no, no, we can live how we want to live. And Peter is like, fam, like licentiousness is not um, evidence, but it's the absence. Right. It's licentiousness is, is evidence of the absence of actual grace. Right. And I love where Peter goes from here because he's trying to show that he and the other apostles are actually trustworthy. Right. That they ought to trust his words over theirs. He says, for we did not follow. <clears throat> <coughs> cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ instead i love it we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received honor and glory from god the father when the voice came to him from the mag from the majestic glory saying this is my beloved son with whom i am well Please look what he says. He talks about the Mount of Transfiguration. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 17, uh, Mark chapter nine, and I believe Luke chapter nine as well. You remember Jesus takes Peter, James and John up this mountain. That's the the, the, the apostolic cohort, uh, those of his closest disciples. And he was transfigured or transformed right in front of them. And the father from heaven says this. This is my beloved son. And in that moment, it was a Trinitarian revelation. The Father, Son, and Spirit had revealed themselves. The Father speaks to the Son, and the Father also calls them, right, the three, to listen to him. And this and this very phrasing, in the very way the, the, the narrative kind of plays out in these chapters that Peter is referring to in his letter is an echo of the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses talks about God raising up a prophet, right, like himself, that they are to listen to, that God's people are to listen to. Right. And it's funny and it's not uh, coincidental or it's not ironic that Moses and Elijah actually appear um, up there with Jesus on the mountain in the story. Now, again, pre Peter brings all of this up. Right. Because of the false teaching and the false living amongst these false teachers that is present among him. And he's saying, no, no, me and the other apostles had access to the divine council right heaven descended and touched earth and we got a preview of jesus's glorified state and it is this special access that we as apostles have this intimacy we've, we've had with christ right is such is, is so much so that we are able to speak on behalf of christ right peter says no no we were with him on the holy mountain how much more do you want right remember the same thing was true of moses the great prophet and teacher and leader of israel it was because he was caught up on mount sinai that he was able to get a torah 
right? And he says, very similarly, we were caught up into this divine council, like all of the prophets in the Old Testament, and we were commissioned by him to speak on behalf of him. He says in the same way, in the same way that the son, right? In the same way that Christ has intimacy with the father, that he can speak on behalf of the father. It's the same way, in a similar way, we can speak on behalf of him. Right. We are set apart as Jesus' spokesman. And so therefore we are to be trusted. Right. We hear it. <clears throat> we hear the voice of Christ and the words of Christ and the spirit of Christ through the apostles of Christ. Again, we are to trust the scriptures. We have the prophetic word confirmed, fam. Right. We have it confirmed. Every one of promises, every one of the promises of God has proved true. Oh, <clears throat> and new testament and therefore we can have confidence about jesus actually coming back right <laughs> jesus actually coming back as he says he will in chapter two peter goes he goes and he gives us some details about the nature of the false teaching and because again they denied the second coming they were teaching folks that they could just live however they wanted as i said before um and, P and peter again uh directly contrasts the way they were living with how we ought to live he says these cats were blasphemers deceivers adulterers greedy seducers boastful corrupt etc and again one of the ways that he speaks of them which i find extremely in interesting is that he calls them irrational animals Right. In verse 12, he says, no, no, they are irrational animals. Now, so good. He's going to give us a little theology, a little anthropology and a little um, understanding of, of sin here. He says we have to understand that one of the things um, and this is me, we have to understand that. Yeah. One of the things that happened in Genesis chapter three, when the fall took place, when sin entered the world was that sin didn't just create and throw off kilter man's relationship with God or man's relationship with man, but man's relationship with himself. Right. So as creatures created in the image of God, the imago dei, it partially means that we an implication of this is that we, unlike all other creatures, have rational faculties like God. Right. So therefore we can reason and think and create. And these should be used to know and love God rightly. But here, Peter says false teachers act like animals. He says irrational animals. I lagos. Right. I lagos animals animals on the other hand are not in the image of god and don't have reason and, and don't have exercise faith so therefore they act merely hear this by way of the passions by way of the instincts and the passions and they are ruled by these and so in scripture it's so interesting and you see this in books like daniel in scripture whenever folks have given way to sin right that the sin that is in them or or, or try to be in the place of god it's it compares them with animals because instead of the passions and desires within them being ruled by faith and reason and love for God and for people, the passions and desires within them drive or rule them uh, over and, and rule over the reason and faith and love for God that should be in them. Right. And God is saying, no, no, like this is what they are like. Right. And he has called us to something so much higher as human beings that are made to reflect and image him. And I love what he what he what he does. In 19, he ties a bow in it really smooth. He says, they promised them freedom, <laughs> but they themselves are slaves of corruption. <laughs> he says, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. In other words, he understands human nature so much, man. He says, in other words, the allure of sin and personal autonomy to do what you want deceives you into actually thinking you are free. And that deception leads to slavery. Right. He says a life lived in sin 
seems like freedom, but it's actually slavery. A life lived for God without proper perspective can seem like slavery, but it's actually freedom, right? It's a freedom to live in light of your design and how the world is designed and the way God is moving the world towards his uh, ultimate ends and purposes, right? And like he does, he points out, um, again, that these false teachers who are trying to deceive these believers will ultimately one day get what God has coming for them. In the second Peter three, he finishes, he, he basically goes on and talks about how false living and false teaching go hand in hand in the same way that sound teaching and sound living should go hand in hand. He says, you can spot a false teacher by the way he lives and by the way he teaches. He says this in verse three, he says, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is the coming that he promised? You see how they're doubting the second coming. Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. He says, uh, fam, don't fret, right? He says, don't fret because we are in the last days. This kind of stuff is happening and will continue to happen. Skeptics and scoffers will continue to come against the church and question the very promises of God. So he says, don't be surprised, but be firm and be rooted in the very promises of God. Notice how he is connecting all of the themes he brought up earlier. And in the same way, he says, he says, no, my man, Noah was on the earth and God did away with everything with the flood. God says this time it will be with fire, right? He says, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. So in other words, some think he's uh, uh, not coming. And he's like, that ain't, what, that ain't what, what's really going on. He says, but he's actually being patient, right? He is, but it's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Part of the reason that God has delayed his coming is so that people will repent before the Lord's coming. Because as Peter says, he's going to come, uh, like Jesus says, uh, as a thief in the night. And at that point, it will be too late. And ultimately, he leaves us. Peter leaves us with a promise right, of the new heavens and the new earth and a gang of um, imagery from Old Testament uh, passages that use the same kind of uh, cosmic uh, upheaval language where God will peel back the heavens in all darkness, evil and sin and wickedness and will expose those naked before his eyes and ultimately judge it. And then he will create this new heaven and new earth and he will bring heaven itself down and we will dwell with Christ forever face to face. God is saying, I want you to live in light of your hope and you live in light of your hope by believing and clinging to promises right the promises of god are the lifeline for the believer as we journey towards the new jerusalem let's pray god we ask for your grace to hold on tightly to your promises i pray that you give us the power